and there the ships go to and fro. Western sirens still not right. Loose wire, feeling a little sick, so visited doctor. Went on a hike late in the day. Sighted a horned owl atop a tortoise trying to eat it. Didn't know what I was seeing. Disturbed me at first. Thought it was something odd with a leathery body and an armored stump. The owl looked up at me and just stared. Didn't fly away until I shoot it off the tortoise. The door slides open. Beat. Lena enters, looking and moving to the left. A man in a hazmat suit stands off to her right against the wall. Second 33, reverse. Kane, framed opposite his IV at right edge of frame. Looking to his right, our left, we hear steps and Kane slowly turns his gaze to his left. Repainted black day mark, seaward side. Ladder may need to be replaced, rickety. Tended to the garden most of the day, ran errands. Went on a hike late in the day. Sighted a muskrat, possum, raccoons, red foxes up a tree at dusk, resting in crooks like crooks. Downy woodpecker, redheaded woodpecker. From the third Southern Reach novel, Acceptance, The Biologist's Last Will and Testament, continued. Quote, a spay of the search for this creature I had once fled. It was absurd trying to differentiate wind-blown reeds from those rattled by some force more specific, of sloshing through the muck and mire without breaking an ankle or getting stuck. Eventually, I came out into a kind of clearing, an island of dirt covered in anemic grass and bounded by yet more reeds. At the far end, something pale and grub-like and monstrous flailed and moaned, its limbs pummeling the reed floor. The speed I had witnessed in the past seemingly now unavailable to it. I realized soon enough that it was sleeping. The head was small compared to the body, but face away from me, so all I could see was a thick, wrinkled neck morphing into the skull. I still had a chance to leave. I had every reason to leave. I felt shaky, the resolve that had made me veer off the main trail evaporating, but something in its obliviousness made me stay. I advanced, keeping my gun trained on the beast. This close the moaning was deafening, and the strange guttural tolling of a living cathedral bell. There was no way to be stealthy. The ground was strewn with dried reeds over the dirt and grass that crackled with my steps, and yet still it slept. I trained my flashlight on its bulk. The body had the consistency and form of a giant hog and a slug commingled, the pale skin mottled with mangy patches of light green moss. The arms and legs suggested the limbs of a pig, but with three thick fingers at their ends. Positioned along the midsection near what I supposed was the stomach were two more appendages, which resembled fleshy pseudopods. The creature used them to help lurch its bulk along, but they often writhed pathetically and beat at the ground as if not entirely under its control. Western siren finally fixed. Touched up the white part of the day mark, seaward side. Fixed the ladder, too, but still feels rickety, unsafe. Something knocked down a foot of fence and got into the garden, but couldn't tell what. No deer tracks but likely culprit. SNSP? The shadows of the abyss are like the petals of a monstrous flower. Didn't feel up to a hike, but seen from the lighthouse grounds. Of note, flycatcher, not sure what kind. Frigate birds, least terns, cormorants, black-throated stilt, a couple of yellow throats. On the beach, found a large pipe fish had washed up, a few sail jellyfish rotting in the sand. I shone the flashlight on the creature's head that small pink oval backed by the too-thick neck. As the molting mask I'd found during my prior encounter suggested, it had the face of the psychologist from my husband's expedition. And this face in its slumber formed a mask of utter, uncomprehending anguish, the mouth open in a perpetual O as it moaned out its distress. 
as its limbs gouged at the ground, as it made its wounded, halting progress in what amounted to circles. Its eyes had a white film over them that told me it was blind. I should have felt something. I should have been moved or disgusted by this encounter. Yet, after my descent into the tower, my annihilation by the crawler, I felt nothing. No emotion at all. Not even simple, common pity. Despite this raw expression of trauma, some agony beyond comprehension. This beast should have been a dolphin with an uncanny eye, a wild boar that acted as if it were new to its body. And perhaps it was part of an intentional pattern, and I just could not see those outlines. But it looked like a mistake, a misfire by an Area X that it had assimilated so much, so beautifully, and so seamlessly, which made me wonder if my brightness was a harbinger of some form of this. To disappear into the coastline, into the anonymous reaches of the beach and the wind, or the marshes, did not really disturb me, perhaps never had. But this did, this blind, relentless questing. Had I tricked myself into believing that letting the brightness overtake me would be a painless, even beautiful, process? There was nothing beautiful about the moaning creature, nothing that didn't seem a ghastly intervention. In that context, I could not intervene, either, even as I watched the writhing of its perpetual distress. I would not end its misery, in part because I worked from incomplete data. I could not be sure of what it represented or what it was going through. Beneath what seemed to be pain might lie ecstasy, what remained of the human dreaming, and in that dream, comfort. There also came to me the thought that perhaps what this expedition member had brought to Area X had contributed to its final state. This is what I can remember now, when memory begins to be interwoven with so many other considerations. In the end, I took a hair sample that proved as useless as any other, a consistency I suppose I should have admired, but did not, and went back to my sad little fire out in the middle of nowhere that was everywhere. But this encounter did affect me in one way. I became resolved not to give in to the brightness, to give up my identity. Not yet. I could not come to terms with the possibility that one day I might put aside my vigilance and become the moaning creature in the reeds. Perhaps this was weakness. Perhaps this was just fear. End quote. Secured the lighthouse, fixed things, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Came then the crying call of a curlew, and at dawn, too, I heard the hooting of an owl, the yap of foxes, just a little ways up from the lighthouse, where I strayed for a bit. A bear cub poked its head out of the underbrush, looking around like any child might. And the hand of the sinner shall rejoice, for there is no sin in shadow or in light that the seeds of the dead cannot forgive. Second 40, Angle and Lena walking around to the opening in Kane's isolation tent, zipped open by the man in the hazmat suit. She reaches the opening and we cut, second 45, back to Kane through the plastic. We hear the zipper close. Lena steps into frame from right. Kane just looks at her. Went back to the garden and kept the axe with me just in case. Unlikely, with black bears, but not unknown. Scrub Jay, cat bird, house sparrow, most humble of God's creatures. I sat there and fed it bread crumbs, for it was a scrawny thing and in need. I shall bring them forth, they said. Second 53, close on Lena. Note, the door behind her is only zipped across the top, not down to the floor. Lena stares at Kane. Bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that gather in the darkness. Heard during the night, screech owl, nighthawk, a few foxes. A blessing. A relief. Second 58, reverse. Kane, staring right back. And time runs out for this minute.
We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. It was a dream. We lived inside a dream. Annihilation. Annihilation.